Dear friends of Jesus Christ, I've noticed that Jesus seems to like using animal illustrations. Dogs and pigs make it into this passage, but elsewhere Jesus um, uses other furry examples. At one point he calls Herod a fox. On another occasion he calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. And then in Matthew 10, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for their mission in the world, Jesus uses four different animal examples in one verse. Behold, he says to them, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now in context, in here in Matthew 10, Jesus is inviting his disciples to be both wise and pure. He's sending them out and he wants them to land in a community like a dove lands in a tree, gracefully, gently, purely. But they are to be smart about it too, discerning, shrewd, like a snake. If there is receptivity to the gospel message, they are to press in. But if they are shut down and persecuted, they are to move on. Shake the dust off your feet, says Jesus. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. As I was thinking about the dogs and the pigs this week, my mind drifted towards the snakes and the doves. And I was wondering, what do these animals have in common? And I discovered that they don't really have anything in common other than that they're animals. So why do I bring them up and put them together? Well, I think the animals in Matthew 10 can help us interpret the animals in chapter 7. When it comes to living into God's kingdom, Disciples need to land as gracefully as doves, but we also need to be as discerning as snakes. Jesus doesn't want us to be critical, but we can't be naive either. In ministry, we need to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Now, one of the major errors made when interpreting this passage is the error of thinking that Jesus is inviting us to turn off our critical faculties, to be blind to sin in a way, to uh, completely avoid evaluating another person's behavior. In this way of seeing the text, Jesus comes off sounding like a good modern liberal Canadian. Live and let live, he would say. You do you. Who am I to judge? Right? But this isn't what Jesus means when he says, judge not. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been inviting us to not be like the hypocrites and the pagans. And later he will implore us to avoid false teachers and to be very aware of them. So clearly, Jesus wants us to know the difference between righteous and unrighteous behavior. Additionally, we'd have to toss out much of the New Testament if the live and let live interpretation were correct because Paul and the other writers spend a lot of time both encouraging godly behavior, a way that conforms to Christ, and then discouraging ungodly behavior or behavior that does not belong to the new community of Jesus. 
And of course, later in Matthew, Jesus himself institutes what appears to be an early form of a church discipline process. And so it's safe to say that perceiving clearly and naming correctly are necessary skills for the disciples to have. The problem with, with, uh, the problem with judging is not the critical discernment piece. The problem is when we think we belong in the judge's chair and then we deal harshly with other people and their sins. John Stott thinks that what Jesus is warning us about here is the dangers of censoriousness or censoriousness. I had to look that word up because I had never heard it before. And what I found is that a censorious person is someone who is inclined to look for and point out the faults of others. It's their mission, in a way, to expose and then to impose judgment. This is how Stott defines it. Censoriousness is a compound sin consisting of several unpleasant ingredients. It does not mean to assess people critically, but to judge them harshly. The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is, un and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. This kind of thing, says Jesus, doesn't belong in the community of Jesus. Quit being so critical. I like this, uh, a person I was reading, that was their translation. Quit being so critical of each other. Be as innocent as a dove, not rambunctious like a bull. I've got a bunch of animal illustrations in my sermon today. In high school, and here's another one. In high school, I worked uh, for a few months as an egg picker. Awful work. Imagine 2,000 chickens running around a windowless barn, just squawking their fool heads off. And my job was to collect the one thing that each of those 2,000 chickens didn't want to give up. So there's a fight, right? I'd fight 2,000 chickens in the morning. And one of the things I found so sad about life in the chicken coop is the way that chickens treated other chickens who had developed defects. One hen had a, a tumor on her head. And wherever she would go in the barn, the other chickens would peck at that tumor. Later that week, I found that chicken dead in the barn. And that kind of behavior happened all the time. One chicken had a broken leg, peck, 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 peck. A couple days later, dead. Another chicken has a busted beak or something's not quite right, peck, 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 peck. A couple days later, dead. It was terrible, heartbreaking. And while I'd like to say that that kind of behavior is limited to the hen house, I think truthfully, we've experienced other things in our human community, in the church perhaps, certainly at home. I think some of the worst pecking perhaps uh, that takes place in human community actually happens within our own houses. Most of us can tolerate the faults of others so long as we don't end up living with them 
because then it amps up and it becomes harder to tolerate. But at, but at home, we grow weary of each other's faults and then we start to peck. You should know better by now. I've been tolerating this for like years, right? Why do you always cut corners when you clean your room? You've, you're such a selfish jerk, right? We just, we feel these things towards the people that are closest to us. You only think of yourself. Think of the times perhaps you have done that. Now think to yourself, has it ever worked to produce meaningful change in the life of the person you're pecking? Does it ever produce a centimeter of change to be judgmental like that? Probably not. More likely, the person you're pecking just digs in their heels. and like, I will not change, right? Pecking each other into submission, fault-finding, putting the worst possible motives into their brain or their mind. That is not the Jesus way. Judge not, he says, or you will be judged. In fact, the same measure that you use on others, it's going to boomerang back onto you. It's tricky to know what Jesus means by this measure business. Is being judged in return a, a natural consequence of being censorious? This is true to life, I suppose. I mean, if your boss is a fault-finding fanatic, you're more likely to be critical of her in return. But if she cuts you some slack, you're more willing to cut her some slack. But Jesus could also be talking about the final judgment here. If you yourself have no grace for others, then clearly you are far away from the grace of God and you can expect the true judge to bump you out of your judgment seat and apply the same measure to you. So how should we deal with, with faults and sins in the body of Christ or as kingdom people in general? Well, says Jesus, we should work on ourselves first. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. It's a, uh, I mean, Jesus is, he's being funny. This is a joke. This is a funny picture and maybe I'll try to illustrate it with, uh, this isn't a plank, but we can imagine for the moment that this is a plank of wood. Now imagine I got this thing sticking out of my eye, Right? Like, this is, this is a funny picture. And I go over to someone else, and I say, hey, I, uh, I see you got a little something in your eye. I know because I have perfect vision, and uh, I'd like to help you get that, right? Like, it's, it's ridiculous. So what? What's the way? Well, how do we deal with faults in the body of Christ? It's, the first step is to look in the mirror, to look at whatever it is is sticking out of your own eye or lodged into your own eye. And isn't it the way it goes? Like this is almost like a law of nature, right? We chronically underestimate our own faults while we exaggerate the faults of others. 
But as Jesus made already very clear, being critical of the faults of others is not the way forward. The first step is to look into the mirror, to come to an honest, humble opinion of your own self, to name what it is you're wrestling with, to confess your own sin, to ask someone else to help you pull this blasted thing out of your own eye. Part of the wisdom of Jesus' teaching here is that, um, of starting with yourself, is that it, it teaches us humility. Change is hard work. Have you ever tried to take a plank out of your eye or, or, or move past a besetting sin? I mean, it can take years of difficult work to get over something that you have wrestled with for years. There are setbacks. We backslide. It is hard. And it's only as you work on yourself that you realize how hard sanctification is. And when you figure that out, you will be way less judgmental and way more dove-like with the faults of others. Another aspect of, of wisdom in this teaching is that this is how change really happens in a community. If you just fault find and tell people to shape up, get with the program, they will never do it. It'll never go anywhere. But if you work on yourself, invite other people into your journey of growth, people are going to be inspired by that. And they'll join you on the road of personal transformation. A few years ago, I went on a pastoral retreat, and the main presenter was so vulnerable and so humble, he shared with us much of his life story and how he used to be just a, such a bully, he said. And at the, end of the treat, uh, the end of the retreat, we were invited to confess something we had learned of ourselves to someone else. So there was about seven or eight people scattered throughout the, the grounds where we were having this retreat, and we were invited to take what we had learned of ourselves and, and go to one of those people to confess that openly and honestly with them. I went right to that man. I went to him because I knew that he would be gentle. Because he too had gone through struggle and had to over, overcome that. I went to him because I knew he'd be gentle. This is the Jesus way of dealing with faults and sins. Start with yourself and then be of service to others. The goal is no planks or specks. I'm not sure if you ever had a speck of sawdust in your eye, but that's no laughing matter, right? That is a pain. You want that thing out of there. And so you're going to be willing to ask for help after a while of dealing with that thing. So to work on ourselves, but then also to be of service to one another. Jesus wants us all to have clear vision, but it's important to be gentle with each other's lives and in each other's eyes, especially. So as we are seeking to land as gracefully as a dove, we also, however, need to be wise and discerning like serpents. The gentle kingdom approach to dealing with faults is, is beautiful, Right? And when a group of people decide to grow together towards holiness in a gracious, vulnerable way, amazing things happen. But not everybody is ready for that. 
And not everybody wants that. In fact, some people hate that. And they come not with sawdust in their eyes, but with clubs in their hand. And Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now before we explore this strange teaching together, let's remind ourselves a few of the things that Jesus has been teaching us about life in the kingdom. He has said, don't hit back, but turn the other cheek. He has said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He has also told us to not call people names like fool or idiot or pig or dog. That is like murder says Jesus. Such hatred has no place in a disciple's heart. So the attitude, the kingdom way, the attitude of the disciple, always and forever towards the neighbor, is love. And yet Jesus also says that if you go to a town and you receive no welcome there and people come out with clubs to hit you, then it's time to do something wise. Shake the dust off your feet. Move on to a new place where there will be receptivity. Jesus did this in his own hometown, you might recall. He was amazed at their lack of faith, so he moved on to other places. Paul routinely did this in his ministry. I mean, it's like 50-50 for Paul, right? He shows up in a place and there's receptivity, so he stays. He ministers the gospel. He forms a little church. But other times he goes to a place and they come out swinging and there's all kinds of trouble and then he has to find his way out of that mess and he does so wisely. It is true that we have to be patient with others and sometimes we need to persevere, that's for sure. But it's also true that some people are just not in the right place to receive the goods that God has on offer for them in Christ or to become a gentle member of the community that is growing in godliness together. It's not that they are in themselves pigs or dogs, right? You can't just say, oh, that person, he's a pig, right? Like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not the Jesus way. It's just that for whatever reason, there's no readiness at this moment to receive the goods of the kingdom, I remember attending a high school chapel once. The speaker that day shared his story, and he was, he was so vulnerable, so authentic, and it was a powerful testimony of, of God's grace bringing freedom from sin in his own life. You could hear a pin drop in the auditorium. Everyone was listening. But later that day, I overheard a few third-year students making fun of the speaker. They were laughing at his story. They were making fun of the way he talked. Pearls before swine. And it's not as though you can just say, oh, you pigs. It's, it's, it's like it, it, they're not quite in a place where they are capable to receive the goodness that God has on offer. Maybe another day, maybe two years later, they'll be in a place where they are able to receive the goods that God has on offer. 
but not that day. They're not receptive. In a mixed crowd, we can always count on a mixed response to God's kingdom work. For some, the good news pops. The call to confession cuts them to the heart. And the assurance of pardon is like music in their ears. They are ready to participate in the work that God is doing in them and in the community that is striving towards holiness together. But others will shrug their shoulders and check their Facebook feed or, or they'll storm out in anger because the preacher had the, had the nerve to, to gently question their way of life. You can't predict or control the results of, of what the goods of the kingdom do when dropped into a community. But you can be discerning about where you give your time and energy. And generally speaking, the Christian response to those who reject God's kingdom is patience and perseverance. I mean, this is, this is God's way. This is how he has pursued us. Um, but there are times when maybe it's just it's not the right time. Be as wise as serpent, serpents and as innocent as doves. So how do we, and this is the, the last question I was asking myself as I was writing this sermon, how do we get the power to, and the wisdom needed to, to live into this kind of witness, to land gracefully, but to also be wise? And I think it starts by recognizing the way that God has demonstrated his own love for us. He sent the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ, to live among us. We weren't even ready for the pearl of great price. We trampled on it, stomped it underfoot. It was not the right time. And yet, into the midst of the world, God sent the pearl of great price. And there were some that received him. And that community has grown. And while we are incapable of receiving him, God took all the splinters, the planks, the sawdust out of us and into himself to make us this beloved community. And because God has acted this way towards us, it gives us the power we need to act non-judgmentally towards others and each other. And I think it's also interesting, too, to consider the way that Jesus has been wise towards you. There were times in your life when you weren't ready to receive the goods that he had for you. And so he was patient with you and waited till another time when you were ready. I mean, how many times have you had in life where it's like, if, if I would have learned this, like I wouldn't have been ready to learn this 10 years ago. But today, I'm ready and to think that Jesus is so patient with us, giving us what we need at a rate we can handle. He is both non-judgmental towards us and also completely wise as he leads us into this life of sanctification and growth. Amen.